0: Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. This episode covers the out-of-town stories in Twin Peaks Season 3, Part 7. So going scene by scene with uh, the stories involving Mr. C, involving Hastings, the FBI... and uh, and also Dougie in Las Vegas. There are no faraway places, I guess you could call them, in this episode, locations like New York or Buenos Aires. In fact, uh, we can talk about a disappearing storyline slash location at this point because it's been four more episodes now since we've seen New York City at all, even in like a photograph or kind of reference that way, like with Tammy back in part uh, three, where she shows them the video or the slides sort of of what happened in that building that Sam and Tracy were in in part one. So since part three now, no New York. So we can push it aside and we'll bring it back at some point if it comes back. But uh, we can say goodbye to that right now. And uh, nothing for Buenos Aires in this episode, although it's only been a couple since we've seen that. Another storyline, a big one this episode, is the FBI in South Dakota. For the most part, this deals with Yankton in federal prison and trying to get Diane there. So we see Gordon whistling in his office. Albert enters to tell him what happened with Diane. He says uh, he saw her in the bar. She basically told him to fuck off, and then he went home. And Gordon says, oh, we got to go see her. And Albert's fed up, and he says, say please. And Gordon says, uh, what? You know, like his typical thing. And Albert goes... You heard me, and Gordon says, "Please." So I don't know what that signifies—if Gordon's faking it or Albert knows when he's pulling his leg or what—but that's a great moment. They visit Diane. She's very standoffish. She has a young lover who leaves as as they come in. So she's got her whole life going wherever she is, but she agrees to go with them, even though she's really bitter about Cooper and won't say why. Uh, On the plane over back to South Dakota, Tammy and Gordon are discussing some discrepancies with Mr. C's fingerprints, and Diane seems to kind of be listening in. Albert shows a snapshot of Mr. C in Rio de Janeiro, like at some estate, some poolside mansion where he's strolling into the frame. People have called it like the Grand Theft Auto shot. Diane talks to Mr. C once they reach the prison. She goes into the room alone, and she's like, just swimming in blackness. It's all dark around her. She's leaning forward. She seems really distressed. And when she leaves the room, she storms off and then she's crying in the parking lot. And Gordon tries to comfort her, and she says something's wrong with Cooper's, something's off. And she tells Gordon that she'll tell him about what happened on that night. Like He he overheard what she said to Mr. C. She says she'll tell him at some point, and they embrace, and he kind of gives her an odd look. This, as I said, is really kind of the heart of this episode. It's where the most narrative advancement happens and where there's sort of the most thematic resonance and and everything. And this is really where we get to know Diane. We saw her briefly in part six, but this is where she becomes a character. It's interesting that they chose to have Albert like recount his experience with Diane at the bar instead of showing it in the previous episode. And it's funny, sometimes telling is better than showing. It's stronger in a way than seeing that interaction unfold it also can go quicker and be kind of more efficient but the fact that albert says say please at the end that makes the whole scene worth it just from a like non-expository point just an enjoyable dramatic Scene on its own terms because of that whole dynamic between Albert and Gordon. It's really cool. There's a lot of little stuff like that in the return. It's like every scene that just could be functional has some little fun element like that, so it works on both levels. It looks kind of like Diana's in New York, like Greenwich Village or something, or you know the Upper uh, West Side or something. I don't know. Like it just or Chelsea maybe. Like it. It seems like one of those sort of side streets with those. Nice kind of walk-ups or whatever. But I don't think so. I think it must be Philadelphia because how the heck does the FBI get there so quickly? Back and forth and this and that and everything. If I recall correctly, Albert says, I was home again soaking wet in 15 minutes. So I think that does it. It's it's Philadelphia. Diane lives in Philadelphia. There, settled. More importantly, as to what her character is, she's very much a noir figure in this. Just the short hair, the elegance. Uh combined with sort of the clipped foul mouth uh, demeanor and everything like that. She's not so much the femme fatale, at least not initially. She's more of like the hard-boiled dame, the tough cookie, as Gordon literally calls her. And he also says she always was. So this isn't like something that happened as a result of you know, growing older and disillusioned or because of whatever her trauma is with Mr. C, which we don't know yet. She always had this pushback and snappy demeanor and everything like that. To a degree, she's the girl Friday. That's certainly what she was. Um, But, you know, that's kind of a funny term because I think... We think of, of a girl Friday as being sort of more snappy and assertive. And I'm talking about like the assistant or maybe sometimes the girlfriend of the detective, like some character who doesn't have the same amount of like power and authority as him, but is kind of at his side, helping him out in various ways. Usually they're more snappy and assertive. That distinguishes them from the obvious source of this term, which is Friday, the character from Robinson Crusoe, the native who the main character rescues, and then he becomes a loyal slave, basically. Even though these characters are usually pretty loyal to the detectives, they're also not not nearly as docile, and they have stronger personalities. So it is kind of an odd term when you consider the genesis of it. That's a little bit of a, a tangent on the general type. In some ways, Tammy is closer to the classic Girl Friday template, but she lacks Diane's feistiness. The fact that Diane is mature, that she's independent, that also kind of distances her from the archetype uh, that I'm thinking of in these in these type of noir stories. It puts her a little bit closer to the femme fatale type. I love Tammy poking her head around the seat on the airplane. At this point, she I feel like she's become a very lovable figure. Like, uh, And I mean, in this sort of, you know, watching it for the fourth time or something like that. When it first came out, I just, I didn't click with this character. I was like, what are they doing with her? Where are they going? She grew on me as the series went along. But now it's just like, oh no, she's a Twin Peaks icon. She's like the little man Or, you know, uh, the log lady or somebody in Twin Peaks who has this very distinct identity, just her whole demeanor and everything. It's just perfect. Like, I I wouldn't change it at this point. In Buckhorn, uh, the FBI still isn't there yet, but they're about to come there. That's set up in this episode. Knox visits the lieutenant from the Air Force. She thinks this will be an easy, okay, show me your prince, blah, blah, blah. And she finds out this body. The prince came off of an actual body at a crime scene. And Mackley has the great line, oh, there's a body, all right. Which became the uh, title of the episode on Showtime. Knox is taken to see the body. She's very perplexed and she calls Davis, Colonel Davis, and says, you know, tells him what happened, and and also notices that this character hasn't aged, which we'll talk about in the Lodge lore section. When she goes back in the room, she says, I don't think this will be your case much longer. And sure enough, Davis is calling the FBI, and now this subsection, which I've been including under the FBI in South Dakota, even though it hasn't crossed their paths yet, is finally going to be integrated with their storyline. In another storyline that overlaps with the FBI, Uh, We have Mr. C confronting Diane, or she confronts him, and he just sits there kind of surly, like he's patient in response to her questions, but there's a real nasty undertone to it. He says, yes, he remembers meeting her at her house uh, many years ago, and he'll never forget that night, and it almost sounds like he's mocking her, and she asks who he is, and he says he doesn't understand the question. He's fairly defiant. Later on, Mr. C tells a guard to let the, to tell the warden that he wants to meet with him, and says he wants to ask about a strawberry, and when he goes to the warden's office, the warden aims a, guns at, a gun at him and says, uh, the cameras are off, and basically threatens him, but Mr. C is totally unflustered. He mentions the late Mr. Strawberry. He mentions dog legs that have been sent to people around the country, and they're going to come for the warden if he doesn't do what he says. And then he also says, he just says the name Joe McCluskey, and the warden is like horrified. It's a great shorthand for something that almost by its very nature can't exist. Like we can only, it, it can only exist in this coded way. I mean, this is pure Lynch. This feels like a Lynch element. A lot of Mr. C feels like Frost. This idea of throwing out these weird, ominous, yet seemingly normal names and words without any broader context and letting them just sit on their own and be what they are and exist in this pure mystery form, that's Lynch, Lynch, Lynch all the way. Mr. C tells the warden that he wants a car, he wants a friend, quote unquote, in the glove compartment, And he wants Ray released with him around midnight. And sure enough, we see this at the end of the episode. The two are released together. They're reunited. They get in the car and drive away. And the warden watches as they go off together. During the scene with Diane, Mr. C uses a much more mocking tone than he did with Albert and Gordon. With them, he was putting on some kind of weird act. And with Diane, he's a little more direct. I've mentioned this before, the different dynamic between... Mr. C and male or female characters. There's a great shot in prison near the end of this sequence with the uh, the flashlight shining down the hallway. I love Lynch's ability to add these elements to each scene and make them pop in some way or another. This is the first time Ray's been back in a while. It's funny to see him now and he seems so like he's still got that smug sort of snarl on his face and Uh, I guess he thinks, you know, somehow he knows about the the gun and all the stuff with the warden. It's it's there's a whole other story going on there. Interestingly enough, when Mr. C talks to the warden, it's a very cold, ruthless, but it's also indifference. Like he tells him, I don't care about you. I just want to get out of here. He's not cruel like Bob. This character is not Bob. Like that's the interesting thing about it is he is quite distinct from the energy of Bob that we saw in in earlier episodes. And I'm not sure what their relationship is. Like that whole sequence in part five, where he says, good, you're still with me. Like for what purpose, what is he using him for? What is he being used for? I don't know. There's a lot more to dig into there in the Las Vegas storylines in the Dougie stuff. We see him in the office, the office, storyline this episode basically involves Anthony asking Dougie some questions, which Dougie won't answer. He's scribbling on his page. And then Bushnell shows up later, says they will talk about files, but he can see Janie E. wants to get out of there, so he lets him go. This is a continuation of the previous day. You can see the clothes are the same and if you do them you know, figure out the logistics of it, it's it's clearly picks up where that left off. With the home life storyline, we have Janie E picking Dougie Cooper up at the office and mentioning a few things you know she confronts some cops who are there and says oh they've got a babysitter for sunny jim and life's more important than cars and all of this so you get a little more sense of their domestic dynamic uh, Janie E is now much more dougie's ally or advocate than his adversary that's something that we've seen i think developing since she takes the took the phone call from the blackmailers in in part uh, six there's there were some hints of it before then, but I think that has a lot to do with building the audience sympathy with her. At first, she seems like, oh, you know, poor poor Dougie is just this hapless, uh, vacant shell, and she's yelling at him all the time. But the more we see her protecting him almost, the more the more we like her as as audience members who were already familiar with Cooper and might not have known what to make of her at first. It's funny, too, that she mentions the neighbor watching Sunny Jim. Like, it's such a non-sequitur, but it's like she thinks of everything, and she's concerned about the impression she'll make, but not from, like, a wanting to charm people, from, like, a very assertive standpoint of, like, oh, well, I don't want people to think we're negligent parents, but I'm not gonna, like, offer it in some soft way. I'm gonna yell at them that we're not negligent parents and kind of bully them into accepting... That that you know we're living up to whatever standards, which I find kind of funny. With the debt subplot, this is pretty much our last time that that comes into play. Uh, she mentions offhand, I'll tell Dougie about uh, my you know day in the park later. And then as they're walking through the lobby, she explains uh, what happened. She says she gave the the collectors more than they deserved, and that's the end of it. She scolds them for blowing money on gambling. It says no more gambling with that jackpot. That's for Sonny Jim and our future. With the assassination plot, we see. Rhonda ushering some cops and The cops ask Dougie about his car, and eventually they're kind of pressured by Bushnell and Janie E into revealing, okay, it was involved with an explosion. We, we found the car and it's been destroyed. They ask to see Dougie and Janie E the next day. Out in the plaza, outside of the office, Ike attacks with a gun. It's weird, he's almost using it like a knife. Like he runs at Dougie like he's gonna stab him with the gun instead of shooting him from far away. And so Dougie wrestles it out of his uh, grasp and squeezes off part of his flesh onto the gun. And then we see a news crew interviewing Dougie and Janie Eve and also the witnesses in the area, which is a funny little scene. There's like this weird spotlight on some forensic team pulling this bit of flesh off the ground and putting it in a little baggie. Uh, The only thing I want to note about this assassination plot is I wondered before if There was, like, a misunderstanding where they thought maybe the carjackers were the hitmen planting the bomb or something. But, no, the cops mention in this scene that they know about the carjacker gang. So, unless these... Bumbling cops know more than Mr. C. He probably knows the hitmen weren't killed. And it makes me wonder what's going to happen to them since he seems to want to kill everyone else who fails him along the way. There's no Mitchum storyline this episode at all. And then with The Great Northern Key, we do get some more with that storyline. I'll continue to cover it here because it originated in Vegas, but... At this point, it's shifted totally to Twin Peaks. Beverly gives Ben the key. It's arrived after Jade sent it a couple episodes ago. And Ben realizes this was the key for Cooper's room. So Jade's work continues because by sending that great northern key, she's kind of keeping that plot element in motion. That's it for this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can support this work on patreon.com slash Movies. Tomorrow's episode, we will continue to look at scene by scene at the different stories in the episode this time focusing on what takes place in Twin Peaks uh, itself in the town and there's a lot to discuss here so I'll see you then